Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam Canto 3, Chapter 32, Entanglement and Fruit of Activities, Text 21. Could I have some hot water? Thank you. Tatas te shina sukrita punar lokam emang sati patanti Vivasha Devai Sadyo Vibhangshito Dayaha Vibhangshito Dayaha Tatastekshina Sukrita Punar Lokam Imang Sati Patanti Vivasha Devai Sadyo Vibhangshito Dayaha Tatastekshina Sukrita Punarlokam Imang Sati Padanti Vivasha Devai Sadyo Vibhangshito Tatastekshina Sukrita Punar lokam imang sati Patanti vivasha devai Sadyo vibhangshito deyaha forward tataha ven te ve kshina exhausted sukritaha results of their pious activities punaha again lokam imam to this planet sati o virtuous mother patanti Fall, Vivashaha, helpless, Devaihi, by higher arrangement, Sadyaha, suddenly, Vibhangshita, caused to fall, Udayaha, their prosperity. Srila Prabhupada's translation and Srila Prabhupada's purport, Kijai. Lord Kapila is speaking. When the results of their pious activities are exhausted, they fall down by higher arrangement and again come back to this planet. Just as any person raised to a high position sometimes all of a sudden falls. Please repeat. When the results of their pious activities are exhausted, 
they fall down by higher arrangement and again come back to this planet. Just as any person raised to a high position sometimes all of a sudden falls. So he's saying, they fall down without looking. Who is they? What's the context? If somebody walked in, they haven't been to the previous Bhagavatam classes. Who is they that they're falling down? Pious persons? Who? What else can you say about them? Ah. Having exhausted their pious credits, they fall down to the world of death. Who is they? Conditioned, the other conditioned souls. They're definitely conditioned souls. Materialistic persons. Yes, they've aimed for a higher material destination and they get it for some time and they fall down. They've aimed for it because their, their desire is to stay in the material world and be comfortable. And this is the result of that. Purport by Srila Prabhupada. It is sometimes found that a person elevated to a very high position in government service falls down all of a sudden and no one can check him. Similarly, after finishing their period of enjoyment, foolish persons who are very much interested in being elevated to the position of president in higher planets also fall down to this planet. The distinction between the elevated position of a devotee and that of an ordinary person attracted to fruitive activities is that when a devotee is elevated to the spiritual kingdom, he never falls down. Whereas an ordinary person falls, even if he is elevated to the highest planetary system, Brahmaloka. It is confirmed in Bhagavad Gita, that even if one is elevated to a higher planet, he has to come down again. But Krishna conscious sorry, Krishna confirms in Bhagavad Gita 8.16, Ma Mupetya Punarjanma na vidyate. Anyone who attains my abode never comes back to this life. Material existence. Magnanti menantasya, gnananjana, shalakaya, chakshurun militang yena, tasmai, shri gurave, namaha, shri chaitanyamano, pishtang, stapitang yena, putale, swayung rupa, kadama, young dadati, swapadanticum. Vande hung Shiguro, Shri Utapadakamalang, Shri Gurun Vaishnavangscha, Shri Rupang Sakrajatang, Sahaganarakunatan Vitang, Tang Sajivam, Sadvaitang, Savatutam, Parijana Sahitang, Krishna Chaitanya Devang, Shri Radha, Krishna Padan, Sahaganalata, Shri Vishakan Vitangscha, E Krishna Karuna Sinpo, Dinabanto, Jagatpate, Gopesha Kupika Kanta Ratha Kanta Namostute Tapta Kanchana Gaurangi Rathe Vrindavaneshvari Rushupanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Vancha Kalpatarupyascha Krupas and Tupya Evacha Patitana Pavane Pyo Vaishnavit Pyo Namo Namaha Jaya Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prapunityananda Shri Advaita Gadatara Shri Vasadi Gaurapaktavrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare 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 Krishna I first offer my respectful obeisances unto my spiritual master by whose causeless mercy I'm able to even practice devotional service at any stage. And to all the Vaishnavas, because you're all the most exalted personalities and worshipable because you're surrendered to Krishna's pleasure. Jai. Tatastek shina sukrita, punar loka mimangsati, patanti vivasha devai sadyu viprangshito dayaha. When the results of their pious activities are exhausted, they fall down by higher arrangement and again come back to this planet just as any person raised to a high position sometimes all of a sudden falls. So Prabhupada has some fun in the purport by extending an analogy here. He says sometimes a person is elevated to a high position in government service and falls down all of a sudden and no one can check him. 
Similarly, after finishing their period of enjoyment, foolish persons who are very much interested in being elevated to the position of president in higher planets also fall down to this planet. He's not talking literally that you get, maybe, but he's not necessarily talking about a literal position of president in higher planets, but pointing out that aspiration, ambition for a material position, like a political position, is very similar to the kind of aspiration one has to uh, attain some kind of higher planet. It's basically the same category of thing. You can get it. You can definitely be president. If in this life or another, if you work hard enough, develop the karma for it, you can be the president. Not necessarily in this life, but you can get it eventually. And you're going to lose it. And that's true of any material situation. That's the part of the American dream they, didn't, they don't teach you. They tell you can, anybody can be president. But they don't tell you that it's not going to make you happy. Um, there's a kind of, it's almost like a meme, but not quite. If you, if you look up pictures of uh, presidential electees, those who actually got the office, when they go into office, and then four or eight years later, they're way more than four or eight years older looking. <laughs> it's actually pretty exhausting. And, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a position of service, actually. It's not that material positions are only for materialists. Positions in the material world are occupied by living entities. The demigods are all living entities. They all have positions. Indra is in charge of rain, and Brahma is in charge of the entire universal arrangement, practically, but they're all devotees as well. Even if they're devotees on mixed levels, they're, they're also, positions are also occupied by devotees. So we don't say that um, actually occupying a position is uh, a materialistic post. And we don't say also that aspiring for a position um, doesn't include some amount of devotion. We understand from our philosophy that anybody who's acting as a demigod actually has a desire to do that. They have a desire to have a position. At the same time, they have a desire to serve Krishna and please him. So what do they get? They get a position in which they're going to please Krishna by managing a certain position in the world which they wanted to have anyway. They do it as a service. That's kind of a mixed devotional platform. But even pure devotees can occupy a, a material position of a certain kind of prestige or uh, luxury. Can anybody give an example of pure devotees, not even mixed devotees, pure devotees with no other material desire, who actually occupied a high material position? Yes. Bhaktivinoda Thakur, yes. Very good. Bhaktivinoda Thakur, you, you, you got mother in interest. That's a good example. He was a high court judge. In recent memory, we don't have to go all the way back to persons in different yugas in, in the Bhagavatam. That's also there. But Bhaktivinoda Thakur had no other desire than to satisfy Krishna. Hmm? Yudhishthira Maharaj. Very good. Yudhishthira Maharaj. He actually held the Rajasuya sacrifice, uh, which on the surface appears to grant the, uh, the, what do you call it, sponsor of the sacrifice, which was him, um, practically unlimited material gain, but he wanted to do it solely to show everybody that just by being a devotee of Krishna, you're the most successful. All the Pandavas, yeah. All the Pandavas, they, they had tremendous power. They were incredibly charismatic. They had kingdoms of their own. They were protected by Krishna themselves. They had wonderful wives and children. They had the Lord themselves as their associate. And they all occupied positions of important authority. Bhishma Dev, Vidura, yeah. Vidura is actually Yamaraj himself. And he occupies a position as a cabinet minister um, to... Duryodhana and also a friend to the Pandavas throughout the entire intrigue of Mahabharata and Bhishmadev. Bhishmadev is certainly he's one of the Mahajans listed in the Bhagavatam. He had tremendous authority and unlimited respect afforded to him. Rupa Sanatana Goswami. Yes, they actually they had material positions of, of great magnitude and left them for spiritual service to Lord Chaitanya and then accepted positions as primary acharyas in our movement and they're worshipped by unlimited beings because they're actually some of the most advanced persons in the, in the propagation of Krishna consciousness. They started temples. Jiva Goswami actually, he established uh, the protection of temples through 
a living will system and he you could say had a certain amount of material prestige because of that too but he didn't did it all for the pleasure of the Vaishnavas so that the devotees could actually worship Madan Mohan and Govinda and Gopinath for generations. There's so many examples, actually. Yeah. Anyone? From the Mahajans, yes. It's pretty much an even split in the Mahajans between renunciates and, and uh, those who aren't renunciates. In fact, there are more who are in the Grahasta order of life, Bhishma Dev, Prahlad Maharaj, Janaka Maharaj, Brahma, Shiva is an interesting case. He's kind of both at the same time. And there's, there are so many examples, actually, of persons who have tremendous material opulence who are still pure devotees. So that's an interesting point and relevant. So what Kapiladev is doing here, actually, is he's preaching to us about being properly aligned, having the right conception, the right sambandha. Because by default in the material world, by default in material consciousness, one has a wrong sambandha, and that's the root of their problems, of all of their problems. The essential problem is that people think that, conditioned souls think that, they can be a position. I want to be the president, so I'll actually, that, that's actually, that's actually going to be me. I'm going to be that. But the devotee understands that they can occupy any position, any position at all, for Krishna's pleasure. But they only actually are one thing. They're Krishna's servant, that's it. And Mahaprabhu, he encapsulated this. I'm not a Brahmana. Well, he was. He acted as one. I'm not a leader of persons. I'm not a kshatriya. Many of his devotees were kshatriyas. Can, can you name one devotee of Lord Chaitanya that was a kshatriya? Starts with Maharaj. That's a good, that's a good giveaway. Maharaj. Pratapurutra, yeah. The king of, of, uh, of Arissa. He was definitely a kshatriya, but he also espouse this idea that I'm not, actually no, I'm not a kshatriya. Napi Vaishu, I'm not a merchant, I'm not uh, a shudra, I'm not a shudra, and there were shudra devotees of Mahaprabhu too. Nam Varni, I'm not a brahmachari, I'm not, I'm not a married person. No vanasto, I'm not a vanaprasta, I'm not a sannyasi. Kintu, however, I, what I am is Prodhya Nikhila Paramananda Purnam Rathabdhir Gopi Parthiv Padakamalayor Dasa Dasa Anudasa and the servant of the servant of the two lotus feet of Krishna, who is ever glorious and is the maintainer of the gopis. That's my only position. And part and parcel of that is that in that I can occupy other positions in service to him. Because after all, he's the owner and controller of everything. And if he wants a little service in this corner of the universe or that corner of the universe, I can do that, no problem, because I'm the servant of his servants. And that's how devotees think. But non-devotees, they don't think like that. They think, I am that. I am that. I actually am uh, the president. That's my, that's my identity. Or I am the husband or wife of this person. I am essentially this kind of nationality or other designation. Even up to the level of, I am God. That's who I am. Um, and that's my essential identity. So there are all kinds of ways in which a living entity gets confused and creates a position and occupies it or has given a, he was given a position and deeply identifies it. And that's the problem. Because in doing that, there's a tremendous amount of suffering. And um, we understand that the living entity is Satchidananda. We were hearing just now that Brahma Samhita, Krishna is also Satchitananda. Ishvara Parama Krishna, Satchitananda Vigraha. Anadid Adid Govinda Sarva Karana Karana. He's the cause of all causes. He is the original and he is Satchitananda. He's eternal, he's full of knowledge, he's full of bliss. Living entity too. So Sat means eternal. And in the absence of an eternal reality, we have suffering. We have a, a tremendous amount of anxiety. Uh, in the Bhagavad Gita, can I get a copy of Bhagavad Gita? Krishna talks about this in many, many places. So, can anybody either quote verses or give us chapters or general ideas of sections where Krishna is talking about the difference between eternal and temporary or the difference between spiritual planets and material planets? These kinds of things. He's drawing this contrast. There are actually so many. There are several. One is quoted in the purport today. One was quoted by Krishna Sharan Prabhu earlier from the Pujari room, from the ninth chapter. There are many others. Can anybody 
recall any sections where Krishna is bring us bring it to this to our attention that there's a difference. Eternal, temporary. Yes. We'll take uh, Donna Kripuru, and then we'll take Mother Indra, because the microphone's on this side. Yeah, beginning of the second chapter. Yeah. Specifically, 216 is a good start too, that those who are nasato vidyate bhavo na bhavo vidyate sataha ubhayor apidrushton tasthvaneostvatvadarshabhi Those who are seers of the truth have concluded that of the non-existent, the material body, there is no endurance. And of the eternal, the soul, there is no change. This they have concluded by studying the nature of both, that there is a categorical difference between that which lasts forever and that which doesn't. And they're always in different categories. And for the next 12 or 14 verses, he talks about how the, these are two different categories and what this means for us. He says, no one can destroy the imperishable soul. The material body must be destroyed and will come to an end. But there's actually no birth or death for the soul at any time. And that the body is like clothing. It comes and goes. You take it on and put it off. But the soul is never actually touched by any material weapon of any kind. Water, air, fire. Nothing of that nature can actually touch it because it's in a different category. And he's saying this because this is foundational knowledge. And he's also saying it because Arjuna is suffering tremendously due to misunderstanding this point. Arjuna's entire dilemma is based on wrong sambanta. He's terrified about killing his own family and fighting a war which demands a great deal of him. It really does, to be fair. But he's terrified of it. It's actually destroying him, practically. He's dropped his bow. He can't use his hands properly. He's sweating and he's crying. He's lost all of his composure. He's lost all of his strength. He's lost his intelligence. He's lost his sense of what to do. All because, mainly, he's misunderstood that the soul is eternal and the body is coming and going. He's forgotten that point. Of course, really, he's forgotten the point that he's Krishna's servant. But that begins with understanding the soul, the difference between the soul and matter. And in not understanding that difference, there's, there's a great deal of suffering. Later in this chapter, 266, Krishna says this, One who is not connected with the Supreme in Krishna Consciousness can have neither transcendental intelligence nor a steady mind, without which there is no possibility of peace. And how can there be any happiness without peace? Krishna, and in the purport, Srila Prabhupada, are painting this picture for us of what it's like to actually misunderstand who we are. You lose your intelligence, you can't have a steady mind, and you can't be peaceful. And he's asking the rhetorical question, Krishna is, and how can there be any happiness without peace? Because, of course, there isn't. And Prabhupada says something very wonderful in the purport. He quotes this verse from Bhagavad Gita 529, that Krishna is actually the enjoyer, he's actually the owner and controller, and he's actually the friend. Again, this is essential sambandha, and one who understands this can be peaceful. That's what Krishna says. It's the, it's the peace formula verse. And the one who doesn't understand it can't have lasting peace. And he says this wonderful statement here. If one is not in Krishna consciousness, there cannot be a final goal for the mind. Disturbance is due to want of an ultimate goal. So ultimate means final, right? If one doesn't have a final goal for their mind, then they can't be peaceful. They must be disturbed. And disturbance comes from a lack of having a proper final goal. Final goal means something that's going to last. You know... I have a temporary goal of lifting this cup to my mouth and drinking some water and swallowing it and continuing with my sentence and that's all fine but the point of it is to continue the, the service to Krishna that we're actually engaging in right now and if I don't understand that I'm doing it for Krishna then I have a goal but it's not final it doesn't last it will be taken away from me either I have to think I am this body because I'm drinking the water or I am this position as a class giver 
or I am something, anything, anything at all, other than I am a servant of Krishna. And that anything at all, anything you can fill that blank in with, I am, anything other than a servant of Krishna, that is not an eternal reality. That's a temporary reality. I am giving this class right now, but I'm not always going to be giving classes. And I am this body right now, in a sense, but I'm not always going to be this body. I'm not always going to be associated with it. I am any number of things, but I'm just passing through. The only thing that I'm not passing through is the position of service. That is always going to be there. And Prabhupada is pointing out that disturbance is due to not having this proper final goal. If one has any other goal other than that I'm Krishna's servant, they're going to be disturbed. They're going to be disturbed. And that's what material life is actually like. You can go to Pitruloka and be disturbed by thinking you belong to a family eternally, that you don't. Or you can go to Colfax and you can get disturbed by any number of ideas, the billboards and now mostly closed, uh, dispensaries and so forth will pawn off on you. They're all bad ideas. The idea that you're eternally this or that, anything other than Krishna's servant. They're just ideas that come prepackaged with anxiety. Why do they come prepackaged with anxiety? Does anybody have an opinion on that? Why is it that assuming oneself to be anything other than a servant of Krishna comes pre preloaded, like a fine PC preloaded with windows, comes preloaded with anxiety? Yes. Is any other conception other than namely servant of Krishna is temporary? Yeah, a lot of devotees have noted that it's, it's very interesting, the reaction to the COVID virus outbreak is as if we were safe before, and now we're not. And in undertaking certain material measures, one may then again feel safe and think that they are actually eternally situated. Um, this reaction is due to the living entity's need to have shelter. And they can be convinced that they're safe when they're not because they're actually, they require to be under the shelter of some eternal situation. And that can be, you know, at least I don't have the virus. <laughs> or that can be, I belong to this family or I'm this income bracket or anything. They can be convinced of that. And they can be convinced of it because they're always subordinate. This is proof of our subordinate nature. We can't be happy on our own. It's impossible. We can't be happy in a world where everything is taken away from us. We have to either construct a false reality where we think that we're protected and safe, um, just like people thought they were safe before this virus began to encroach on their mental space. Mainly, most people are not getting sick physically. Most people are actually sick mentally, anxious, because they actually had a false shelter. We need that or we need a real shelter. And Prabhupada saying that disturbance is due to want of an ultimate goal. So one may throw up their hands and say, well, to heck with everything. If I can't be free of disease, um, and if I can't be the president forever or whatever situation I'm attached to, hold on to my money, my beautiful car and wife, so forth, then I'm just going to not be anything. I'm just going to be satisfied floating. But that doesn't work, actually. Living entity has ambition. Ambition means a drive to accomplish something, to be something. It's natural, actually, ambition. And Krishna consciousness means the proper application of our ambition. To actually take that drive. Right now, people are pretty driven to protect their families and to do any number of things to meet certain temporary goals. Um, and later on, when this virus is no longer so much on the radar, they'll have other kinds of ambition. They'll have ambition to make money again. Ambition to make a name for themselves. People always have ambition. Devotees also have ambition, but they have the ambition to please Krishna. So for one who is still, you know, practicing Krishna consciousness, and they're still sometimes disturbed in the mind because of being attached to false shelters, still thinking they are the body, still thinking they can be comfortable here, 
they have to use that natural ambition they have to be ambitious to come to the status of being Krishna's servant, to be ambitious for the spiritual world, to be ambitious for a place where there is no suffering. And that's a good goal. Ultimate goal is to be ambitious to satisfy Krishna eternally. But in the meantime, it's, it's a valid goal to actually be ambitious for a world where there are no viruses floating around and that I can actually, actually be peaceful for once. That's relevant. That's relevant to persons who still have ambition, material ambition. They can use that. In, in other words, people try to be the president because they think it's going to make them happy. And people try to, for material reasons, have families because they think that's going to make them eternally happy or have a job or be a uh, possessor of a certain object or the traveler to a certain location or any other experience materially because they think it's going to make them happy. And when one realizes that, at least intellectually, that none of these things are going to make me happy because they're all being stolen away from me all the time, I should go for that eternal position then they become attracted to the messages about the spiritual world. They become attracted to the messages that Pishta Krishna Prabhu was reciting earlier. Shriya Kanta Kantav Parama Purusha Kalpataravu Dhrabhumish Chantamani Ganamaya Toy Mamritam. The spiritual world, the water is just like nectar. Every song is like a dance. Every word is like a song. The flute is the favorite attendant. And the living entities, as Srila Bhaktisiddhanta puts it, are all tasty. They're all tasty. Not everyone's tasty here. Some people are a little bitter, a little salty, sour. In the spiritual world, they're all very tasty, wonderful variety. And these descriptions are all throughout our Shastra. Our descriptions are the primary thing that Srila Prabhupada has come to give us. So we can become attracted to them. So the mind can actually have an ultimate goal. Disturbance is due to want of an ultimate goal. We have want. We have all kinds of wants. But it's for temporary goals. And because we don't have an ultimate goal, we're disturbed. But if we have an ultimate goal, then we can have all these temporary goals. We can have to drink the water and give the class and do the thing and walk around and deal with the body because we have an ultimate goal to all of that. The materialist doesn't have an ultimate goal because they don't know about Krishna or they don't want to know about Krishna and their position of service to him. So they have to create a fake ultimate goal and therefore they're disturbed, tremendously disturbed whether it's this virus or anything else, it's going to, they're going to be in a position of disturbance. In fact, the position of the living entity who forgets Krishna is one of constant disturbance. It's actually lamentable. It's quite lamentable and quite sad. Um, in fact, it's even pathetic. The word pathetic actually comes from Greek, pathos, means having suffered. Pathetic means a position that is of suffering and evokes pity and suffering in others. It's so bad that other people feel bad just by looking at you. The devotees of the Lord, when they see the material situation, they feel for that. Prahlad Maharaj says in the seventh canto, how does he put it? It's such a nice verse. You should know the Sanskrit. It's evading me. But Prahlad Maharaj is saying that I'm actually satisfied myself. I don't have any disturbance. Because I'm just diving always and repeatedly into the ocean of your pastimes, my dear Nirsingadev, Bhagavan. I'm always attached to your pastimes and your features, and I'm never separated from them, so I'm perfectly satisfied myself. But I feel really bad for everybody who's not doing that. Prahlad Maharaj is lamenting that everyone else is maya sukhaya bharam udvahato vimuta. They're vimuta. They're deeply foolish. They're carrying bottom, they're carrying a, 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 a burden, actually. The burden of all these maya sukhaya, maya sukha, false happiness. And it's really hurting me. I really feel bad for them. The, the devotees actually, when they see this, the alternative to actually this, the happiness that they're having, the freedom from disturbance, the full remembrance of Krishna, they feel really bad. It's actually a pathetic situation. And they want to do something about it. So... This is the, the choice that we have to become enamored with a temporary situation of thinking that we're the enjoyer, we're the controller, we're the best friend, or to actually accept what's a bitter pill for the soul who's conditioned to swallow, that Krishna is the enjoyer. 
And he's the controller and he's the best friend. And he always was and he always will be. There is no competitor. There never was. Uh, the very idea that we could be a competitor was uh, a fit of complete madness and a terrible idea, mainly for us. And just by accepting that he's the enjoyer and the controller and the best friend, then one can really be happy and peaceful and be free of this state of otherwise constant disturbance. And it can be the disturbance of any very, very short-term situation or the disturbance of a more of a long-term situation in the heavenly planets, Pitruloka, one actually lives there for what to us in our frame of context seems like a very long time. But from the absolute context is still another position of disturbance. The, the demigod who has to leave the heavenly planets actually, it's described uh, what they're leaving is like. No one actually dies on the heavenly planets per se, rather they're ejected and they die falling down. <laughs> and leaving Pitruloka, it's the same thing. The description is there in Shastra when one has a, a very, very long-term but temporary position, they enjoy for some time, but the feeling of unease is there. This is going to get taken away from me. 20 kalpas from now, or tomorrow. It's still a feeling of unease, because it's still unnatural to the soul. The soul is, doesn't belong in the heavenly planets. They don't belong thinking that they're, uh, you know, whoever, this deva or that deva, or this servant of this pitri or that pitri. No, they, they actually don't belong to that at all. It's just another position of anxiety. They actually really only belong as a servant of Krishna. Uh, and it's only because of long practice and deep misunderstanding that we're, we've become accustomed to and, and kind of falsely comfortable with this mantle of being anything else. When faced with the proposition of being Krishna's servant, the soul, the conditioned soul, recoils in horror. To be the servant? Ugh. I don't want that. I'm never going to be the servant. Even in the position of practicing devotional service, we can sometimes have like a feeling of revulsion. A servant? But I'm doing all this to be happy. <laughs> that doesn't mean being a servant, right? No, it really does. We just, we're deeply misunderstanding the situation and we're really practiced. We have a, 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 a large groove in our consciousness that the wheels of our mind want to go back to. A groove that's, that says that we're, we're actually just ultimately going to be the enjoyer. And whatever we're doing is just a temporary thing to get us to that position of enjoyment. Even devotional service is a temporary thing to get us to a position of independent enjoyment. And uh, we have to watch out for that. This is our practice. This is our practice of bringing it back from this misunderstanding which has never made anybody happy. No one has ever, ever in any circumstance been happy by thinking there's something other than Krishna's servant. So it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the most profound kind of use of ambition and the most profound kind of self-compassion and self-care to be reminding ourselves always of this eternal truth that Krishna is the enjoyer and the controller and actually he's also the best friend, not me. I can function as a controller and I can function as an enjoyer and I can function as a friend in service to Krishna, but otherwise I'm actually not these things, certainly not independently. And when we're convinced of this and we're able to stay in that position for some time of service, we can actually experience satisfaction and freedom from the disturbances that are otherwise there, whether one is on this planet or another. And in this section, after having established that you can't be happy on this planet, Kapila Dev is going out of his way to point out, well, you can't be happy on any other planet either <laughs> if you think you're the controller, if you're trying to take my position. So, just to review, living entity can have any material position, including the president, Prabhupada points on the purport, but it's just coming and going, and if they are deeply identifying with that, thinking they are that position, that's the root cause of all of their suffering. They can't be peaceful. One can't be peaceful without remembering that Krishna ultimately has the position of enjoyer, controller, and best friend. And our position is there. We do have a position. We're real. But our position is to be a servant or the servant of the servants. And holding on to that, we're actually very satisfied. We also reflected back many examples of devotees who have material positions who are not attached to them. And I don't think we need to reflect back too much uh, material, materialists who are not satisfied with their position because it, the short answer is all of them, ever, anywhere. 
under any circumstance. They're always having it taken away and they're always unhappy, whether they actually believe it or whether they present it publicly or not. They're deeply unhappy on the spiritual level. So we can take any reflections on anything that was discussed, comments, reflections, questions. Hare Krishna. Yeah, in the mode of passion, one has uh, one has to be attached to an external position and chase after it. Actually, the living entity is tremendously powerful. We don't understand in our conditioned state how powerful we are. We're actually changing our bodies, our own bodies, our, not just like moment to moment, but the, the whole kind of container of body you live in is being changed basically because we have all kinds of desires that are uncontrolled. Where we live, what we do. People have goals right now of, uh, you know, moving to like a slightly bigger townhouse or taking a vacation, you know, to, I don't know, wherever in this material world, Hawaii. Um, just really small, pathetic, piddling goals. The living entity can actually go to any planet they want based on their material desires. And they can actually leave all that and go to a place that's so wonderful they can't even begin to understand it in their conditioned state. They have that power if they actually direct themselves properly. They don't, they don't have to have Hawaii. They can go to Pitriloka. They can go to Indraloka. They can go to Brahmaloka. Or they can go to Goloka. They have a tremendous amount of power. But generally their, their ambition is very, very narrow according to their circumstance. I mean, it is Kali Yuga. This is the fallen age. We have very, very narrow intelligence, narrow vision, narrow everything. Everything is very small and miserly. So it's actually quite pathetic what our goals even are materially here. You know, like to be the president of the United States, who cares, cosmically speaking? It's insignificant. So you can be another, a poster of somebody who aged 20 years and four years. It's, it's insignificant. Um, you can't fit more than four chapatis in your stomach anyway. <laughs> um, because of the material body you have. You can go to Indraloka, and that's also basically quite pathetic. But the living entities have to have their eyes open to their potential, the spiritual platform, the kind of happiness that they can experience there, so that they become disengaged from what are otherwise very attractive, but are basically just quite pathetic uh, temporary material goals offered by Maya. Thank you. More reflections? Comments, questions? Anything from online? Okay, we got some online. Krishna Shankar. Can you say that the living entity actually creates an anxiety because he assumes a position of um, 
So it, so it actually creates a creates its own anxiety because by nature or constitutional position is that the tiny individual human entities servants of Christian. So by assuming the position of Christian, we put ourselves in tremendous anxiety. Yes. Prahlad Maharaj actually says that in the seventh canto. More or less, he says that as soon as one begins to try to be happy, in other words, to try to be happy because of this misconception of ourself, just that decision to try is the beginning of their unhappiness. It's not even just that you have to wait for the plan to fall down. <laughs> oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this position, and you go for it, and it doesn't work. That's when your unhappiness begins. No, he says as soon as you started aspiring to be happy materially, that's the beginning of your suffering. He says from the absolute vantage point of pure devotional service. Because you allow the modes of nature to act on you at that point. And they will. And they're much stronger than us. And they take us down a path and play out a script that's quite painful. One way or another. No matter what it looks like externally, it's quite, it's quite foreign to the soul. So, um, yeah, we do have that, we have that responsibility. In other words, we're not, we're not uh, a victim. In this. this is not a setup. God's not... Uh, out to get us, put us in a situation, put us under his thumb and watch us squirm. We're actually responsible for the suffering, ultimately, which means that we can also take responsibility to get free from it. So, uh, when an entity takes anxiety to the Christian, mm. the says he becomes empowered by him. Yeah, then their activities are within the internal energy. They're, constant, they're, they're categorically different. Prabhupada was very firm on this because the tendency can be there to try to avoid all kinds of ambition and endeavor, but that's not the devotional path. The devotional path is to actually apply oneself to Krishna as a person so that one gets a, a perfect personal result of service to him and not to try to avoid being a person essentially by avoiding endeavor and avoiding ambition. So we, we have to have ambition. We have to have ambition to please Krishna. And that means there's going to be ups and downs. But Bhaktino Thakur sings, whatever suffering I receive, whatever troubles I get in the course of my service to you, I treasure. It's my greatest gift. This is Queen Kundalini the same way. I, I don't mind all the suffering I had when I was with you, Krishna. When you're leaving me now, I, I would rather have had all that suffering because you were there by our side. And Prabhupada also talks about how Mother Yashoda has tremendous anxiety caring for Krishna because he's always getting up to trouble. I mean, always. It's like there's no break. <laughs> um, if, you, if you tell some, some you know, single mother out there that, guess what, the perfection of life is to be chasing after your, your child forever. <laughs> they won't understand because the difference between chasing after Krishna to serve him and chasing after some phantasm in this world is, I mean, it's beyond night and day. It's the internal energy and the external energy. Mother Yashoda's ecstasy cannot be expressed. She's transcendentally so satisfied with that. It's a different experience. And one has to actually have that experience of taking anxiety for Krishna's pleasure and feel that. It's actually a different thing. It actually, it actually fills up with something wonderful. Sorry? To have to cry for the rest of your life. Because Krishna didn't return the gopis. I mean, wow. That's not conceivable on the material platform at all. That seems like the worst kind of callous heartbreak. But the gopis' ecstasy is something that's so amazing that Krishna wants to experience in himself. It's, um, it's the highest kind of ecstasy because the remembrance of him is so acute. Their Krishna consciousness is so perfect in that separation that they're actually the most with him. Um, that's all I'll say about that. Anything on, we have some comments, questions online? Yeah, this point about the, the ecstasy that the gopis feel in service, I think it transitioned to this nice reflection on Anandamar, and he pointed out that even Krishna came here to be a servant to show us how much of a desire to continue is. Yeah. Lord Chaitanya takes on so much anxiety for Krishna's service. He's, he's thinking at one point, you know, in the Chaitanya Chaitanya, not more than one point, but I'm thinking of one instance particularly, how will all these living entities be saved? 
They're all suffering so much. How will they come to Krishna? Haridas Thakur says, don't worry, the loud chanting of Krishna's name will save them. This anxiety that Mahaprabhu has, we can also have that. That's our mission here. Prabhupada gifted it to us. It's our inheritance bequeathed all the way, generation after generation, from Mahaprabhu's divine anxiety. And, uh, and, and taking that on uh, actually qualifies us for the, the internal experience that Mahaprabhu has himself, eventually, the experience of the gopis. We, we actually experience Krishna Lila by, by service to Gora Lila. Krishna, good to hear from you, Prabhu. Yeah, it's amazing. If you, if you remember what it was like to come to Krishna consciousness and to begin chanting japa, to begin practicing a little bit of bhakti, the difference is, this contrast is quite stark, actually. What the, what the mind is like when it's always in material consciousness versus even having like one day a week, you go to see the, the devotees, you hang out with them, you take prasadam, what that experience is like. It looks pretty sentimental. It looks like you're not accomplishing much. To, to the external point of view, but the, the experience of actually practicing devotional service is immediate relief from suffering. Nectar Devotion talks about that. It's the first thing you get is immediate relief from suffering. That's like the side benefit of side benefits. The real benefits are later. So if we're actually starting to doubt that or we're having a tough time, remember the contrast. Remember, don't glorify, don't put up on a pedestal the material position. Don't think they're having fun out there. You weren't having fun out there. Remember, be very sober, be very clear what that, that contrast is like between material consciousness and spiritual consciousness. And you'll remember Jashachananda Prabhu's point that there's, there's peace and there's a lack of peace. And there, there's a very, very clear difference in the practice of bhakti versus any other position. Anything else before we continue to our next service? Srila Prabhupada Kijai, Sri Kapiladev Kijai, Vancha Kalpatur Pyascha, Kripasan Tubiyevacha, 